Welcome to Stupsin. Stupsin is a series of Dharma talks by Anthony Osler, Dai Chong Osho, the guiding teacher at Poplar Grove Zendo in South Africa, and a former Zen monk. The talks draw from traditional Zen teachings and koans to make them relevant wherever we live and whatever life we lead. If you feel inspired by these teachings and would like to make an offering to support Stupsin, you can go to our website, stupsin.co.za, to find out how. So, for those especially who are not familiar with Poplar Grove or these Zoom meetings, uh, we have them once a month, and Margie and I are sitting in the kitchen of our old farmhouse. Uh, the Arga stove is in the kitchen, keeping us relatively warm, but the rest of the house is like an icebox. And what happens at the beginning of every winter is that we feel assaulted by the cold and we talk about it endlessly and we strategize about it and we wonder whether we have the courage to go through another winter. Not because our temperatures are lower than in Europe and North America, but because the house we live in is still set for sunny South Africa, which is our kind of fantasy world. And yet when the temperature drops to about minus 10, we suddenly are aware that all the old sash windows that we bought on auctions so many years ago are leaking cold air, and we stuff them with pieces of wool and... And then one day, suddenly, we find we have stopped talking about the cold and that we just live with it. And it reminds me of a wonderful koan in a koan collection called the Blue Cliff Record. Koan 43, if you like that sort of thing. Uh, Dongshan's Hot and Cold, it's called, where a monk comes to Dongshan and said, how can I avoid hot and cold? And that's the, the question that starts the koan. What happens all the time here is that I get people coming with that kind of question. How can I avoid hot and cold? How can I deal with this life? How can I cope with COVID, with corruption, with bad governance? How can I cope with people's loneliness? their cooped-upness, how can I cope with myself? And people look, look for answers. 
And of course, uh, I have to endlessly disappoint them because I haven't the faintest idea how to answer questions like that. The questions are generally of a kind of a generalized nature. They're to do with what's going on in, in somebody's mind. And the details of that I really can't, uh, I can't help with. And the more I want to help with that, the more I and the person in front of me uh, fall together into uh, a hole of confusion. In the tradition, we call it two mud cows wrestling. We both end up uh, full of mud and uh, full of confusion. So I have to find what is real in that moment, whether it is whether it is uh, written or whether someone's talking, I've got to somehow find what is real in that interaction for me. And what is real is that person's anxiety and the, the, the innocence of it, which is so beautiful. And for myself, if I can make that connection, then it feels to me as if I have something to say. It's unlikely to be very helpful about their questions of uh, governance and colonialism and racism and fascism and imperialism and patriarchy. But at least then I can meet the person in front of me. And that really is what characterizes this tradition. It's the question always of how do I meet you? You who are standing in front of me asking your anxious question you with your suffering, you with your suffering about the suffering of others. And then, of course, in a wider uh, way, how do we meet this world? How do we meet other people in it? How do we meet our spouses, our children, our neighbors? How do we meet the chemist and the traffic policeman? How do we meet the trees in the grove and the rocks on the hillside, the dog, the cat, the ducks? How do we meet this world? How do we meet ourselves? And what does that question even mean? So 
our tradition uses two primary vehicles for this, uh, amongst others, but let's just focus on two. One is Zazen, our formal meditation, and the other is our uh, our koan, koan practice, what we call our koan practice. And let's just have a very brief look at that in the context of this question of of meeting, of my finding the real world, as they say. I do remember my poor parents desperately saying one day, but what about the real world? Meaning the world of of problems and good deeds and social concern and and uh, having a philosophy of life. But the real world, for me now, and I would love to have been able to say it then, which of course I couldn't, the real world now is the world I find myself in right in this moment. Whatever the moment may be, and whatever life we're living, that freedom, (coughs) the freedom of meeting, the possibility of making each moment genuine and real, is what our practice is about. So let me try and stay on track here. In our zazen, our sitting meditation, what we do is we we take ourselves into uh, a formal situation. We sit down a bit like some of you will be doing now. And we take our mind and our body We sit on this earth, our head is in heaven, (laughs) and the discipline of our meditation is to go beyond the mind that's endlessly thinking, endlessly having ideas about things, endlessly attaching to our ideas about things and generating some emotion often about them, liking this, disliking that, holding on to this, judging that, commenting, a kind of a closed circuit of thinking and emotion that that really drives our lives often. And we sit with that, and by simply finding a way to pay attention, to go beyond our attachment to that kind of life, into something beyond it. The... the, the vocabulary in, in Zen and Buddhism in general 
is to talk about self, meaning the enclosed, separate self, a short-circuited self that operates in concepts and language and opposites, and where our attachments and anxieties arise into what we term non-self, meaning really beyond self, beyond that endless concern, into, into something else. And it's not for us to define what that something else is, but as we do it, as we As we practice, if we use the word practice, as we do our zazen, our sitting meditation, we find a sense of aliveness that is tangibly, instinctively different to the world inside our head. And our zazen in that way is not removing ourselves from the world, but it is going beyond, if I can use the word again, the world inside our head into something much more uh, authentic to our whole being. Uh, there's an instinctive recognition there of that. And what we're doing then is we're meeting this life of ours in the moment of sitting. We are finding an intimacy with our life in this moment of sitting, of paying attention to something that is not governed primarily by what we think or feel. And when we do that, we find this connectedness with the world that feels so natural and deeply authentic to ourselves. So that's the one aspect. The other aspect, which is a part of my own training and part of our practice at Poplar Grove, is to use koans, to use stories, teaching stories, situations, uh, in a way that kind of plays with our attachment to what we think and feel and like and dislike. To play with that in a way in order to see if we can find the space where we actually meet. And to do that, we have to let go of our uh, attachment, our love for this uh, world inside our head. So both of those aspects of our practice, our Zen practice, in a sense, head in the same direction. So let's look at that koan, uh, just by way of 
example. The monk comes to uh, Zen Master Dongshan and says, how can I avoid heat and cold? And that's just like the questions that people bring to me. And of course, just like the questions I often have in myself. The, the monk, the, the, the subtext of his question is that he wants life to be a bit different. He wants to be able to avoid heat when it's hot and cold when it's cold. He wants to be able to, to have a life that's different to the life he has or she has. And that attachment mind, that liking and disliking which is driving the question is familiar to us all. That's, that's why we're sitting here on a Sunday morning. That's why we come to Zen practice, or any spiritual practice, really. So, a bit like uh, Margie and I, at the beginning of every winter, we resist the, the cold as it comes, and we're looking for endless strategies to avoid it, and ways to comfort ourselves, and we're quite obsessed by it, really. And then at some point, it, it changes. At some point, the reality of it just becomes the reality of our life. Not uniformly, of course, we, we backslide endlessly. But also, the center of gravity has changed somewhat. So people come with these, these kinds of questions about suffering in a, in a kind of general sense. How can I make my life different? How can I avoid COVID? How can I avoid illness? How can I avoid death? How can I avoid loneliness or boredom? In fact, while I'm on that... Um, People often ask me, but, but Zazen, meditation is so boring. Uh, the question behind that is obviously, how can I make it different? So sometimes I have to say, well, sit down and see if you can bore yourself to death. And see what happens. Because boredom from the inside is different from boredom, looking at boredom and judging it and trying to duck. In any event. Uh, what I've also had recently have been a fascinating set of conversations with people who have had COVID uh, quite seriously. And uh, one of our Sangha members who'd been quite uh, seriously affected wrote this f wonderful email about how he, how he resisted being sick and how dreadful it was and how 
he found himself unable to breathe and how he just had to go one breath at a time as if it was his last hour after hour, day after day just 100% struggling to breathe 100% illness, 100% COVID and how alive he was in that, in retrospect. And he used the word magnificent, the absolute agony and magnificence of it. And how, and how alive he feels, not just by comparison, but in the sheer uh, fullness and completeness of that experience. And his immediate response was, what about poor people who with COVID? How will they cope? That instinctive compassion that just rises out of a full life. And another friend who uh, is terminally ill with uh, leukemia that's now invaded his body, just called to say, I may have a day, I may have a week. The chances of having a month are unlikely. And all that I can say is, this feels like the most important moment of my life. And I'm going to do the best with it that I can. That's all I've got. And this is the kind of answer that Dongshan gives in the koan. When the monk says, how can I avoid hot and cold? Dongshan says, how can you go a place beyond hot and cold? And the monk says, what? And Dongshan says, when hot comes, hot kills you. When cold comes, cold kills you. And of course, there's a lot that can be said about this, but in the line that we're following today, this is just about just 100% life, giving yourself to this life completely. Sometimes, of course, life comes and grabs you by the neck anyway, and you resist and resist, and eventually you have to just be dragged along or it's in the context of a more sedate uh, spiritual practice where this is the direction of what we do. My own uh, ordination teacher, uh, the late Sasaki Roshi, always said to us, the only thing you have to do is to give yourself to this world. You don't have to worry about 
self or non-self enlightenment or suffering. You just have to give yourself to this world and find your affection and love for people and your willingness to, to work, to be here, to take responsibility. And then the self that you are trying to negate is already negated. The suffering you're trying to avoid is already avoided. So this is not a preordained outcome. We don't go to become better people, to become enlightened, to become compassionate, to become wise. We just step into the life that we have with everything we've got. Our body, our mind, our heart. That means when hot comes, hot kills you. When cold comes, cold kills you. When you're in this life without without reserve. And in that way, <coughs> our koan practice, our zazen, our meditation practice, lead us into that place of meeting this world. Not the world that we think we should have, not the world we think we deserve, not the world we think other people should have but we meet it as it is. And that's our practice. That's why we do our Zen practice, in our case, or whatever spiritual tradition you are part of. So that this world and your life are one thing. So you meet your spouse. You meet the zendo, the meditation room. You meet the interview room. You meet the teacher, your children, the dog, the light in the room. And right at this moment, because this is not an abstract thing, it's not a question of our imagination, it's finding it in a very concrete real way in this moment. In this moment, what is my life? In this moment, my life is meeting you in this Zoom event. Beyond whatever I may think about it, just the wonderful absurdity of meeting in this way. And when I do that, all I can say is thank you so much for being here together. <laughs>